Our scripture reading this morning is Acts 1, 4 through 8. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John was baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This is God's word. Let's retrace the sequence of events surrounding the resurrection of Jesus. One week before Resurrection Sunday, Jesus crested the Mount of Olives. Then he rode a donkey into the city. A mere five days later, he was crucified. Then on Sunday, he arose and met two disciples walking to Emmaus. Seven days later, Jesus appeared to Thomas. A week or two later, he met Peter on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Let's travel through time to the days before and after Jesus' resurrection and relive these events just as they happened in real time. It was on this exact date that something amazing happened. Last night, I was uh, tracking a package that was going to be delivered, and now you've, they've got it to where you can actually see the map, you know, where you're seeing the dot, and they're saying, you're five away, you're the fourth delivery, you're the third, and they actually delivered, and they show you a picture of it, and so on. On this precise date, at almost this exact time, it was actually about 9 a.m., a most extraordinary package was delivered. And this one came from heaven. Check this out. And here's what happened on this date many years ago, but on this date. When the day of Pentecost had come, which is 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus, they were all together in one place and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. <clears throat> and when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Why, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the districts of Libya around Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them in our own tongues 
speaking of the mighty deeds of God. The arrival of God's Spirit, when that package was delivered from heaven, it allowed 120 individuals to speak in the mother tongues of numerous visitors to Jerusalem. The message content was the mighty deeds of God. It says they were speaking the mighty deeds of God. In other words, they were telling people about amazing things God has accomplished. It was as if someone was saying, let me tell you what God did in their mother tongue. That's what they were hearing. <laughs> now, some claimed that this was the product of inebriation. And I have one simple question. Has alcohol ever produced foreign language fluency? <laughs> Not. Peter explained to them, let me tell you what's happening here. What you are seeing actually connects to Old Testament prophecies. In other words, long ago, God told us what was going to happen on this precise date. What you're observing can actually be explained as the fulfillment of some prophecy in the Old Testament. Let me show you several touch points. Now, one of the things that, were being play, that was being played out in this moment was it was very clear that Jesus was the Messiah because of the fact that he was able to distribute this gift. So, for example, in Acts 2.36... He says this, therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain, no doubt, that God has made him both Lord and Christ. That means Messiah. The Messiah you've been waiting for, God appointed Jesus to be that Messiah. By the way, this Jesus whom you crucified. Ouch. What's going on here, Peter? He says, therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, and there was Jesus, you crucified him. He was our Messiah. He is our Messiah. He was crucified by your hands. But he has rose to heaven. He has been exalted to the right hand of God. And he has received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit and he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. In other words, what you're seeing is not the product of drinking early in the morning. This is a product of Jesus has arrived at the throne room and he has dispatched his spirit as proof that he is now seated in the place from which he will reign. The result was astounding. Verse 41 says, So then, those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. So let's do the math here a minute. This started with 120 who were gathered in an upper room. This was the church. These were the people who had devoted their lives to following Jesus. And the Holy Spirit was poured out on them. 
And they went into the city on Pentecost, which was a holiday. There would be a million plus in Jerusalem. And everyone was hearing their native tongue, no matter where they came from. And Peter said, let me explain. Jesus is the Messiah. You crucified him, but he has arose. He is alive. He is in heaven, and he has dispatched his spirit. That's what has just happened. And 3,000 came to Christ in that moment. Now, do the math. 120, 3,000, that's a 25 to 1 ratio. In other words, that's for every person in the room, every person in the upper room, there were 25 new converts. Would that not be fun to observe? <laughs> Let me tell you something. The Spirit made that possible. The Spirit is certainly capable today of doing the same thing. He hasn't left. In fact, Jesus says that it's normal for a seed to go in the ground, and when it hits the right kind of ground, it produces 30, 60, 100-fold. Every person in this room who knows Jesus Christ in cooperation with his spirit is capable of seeing dozens come to Christ through the power of his spirit. And that's what's happening here on this first glimpse of what this gift does. Now, in order to better understand what's happening on Pentecost, we need to go back 10 days. We're going to peel back another layer to understand what happened. So, in relation to today, today is Pentecost, using the biblical calendar. And so, if we were to go to the Friday of Memorial Day weekend, all right? So, just go back 10 days to not this last Friday, but a week ago Friday, that would be the day that is recorded to us in Acts chapter 1. And that's the passage that was read earlier, in which it re reads, Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for that which was Father had promised, which, he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now, which, as it turned out, was ten days later. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or epochs, which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. So 10 days before the package was delivered, Jesus said, here's two commands. Don't leave, stay put here in Jerusalem, and wait for the delivery of the Father's package. Don't leave, wait for the package. What is going to be delivered is the Holy Spirit. You are going to experience a new era in the Spirit's operation. And what you're going to receive is what the Father has promised, what John the Baptist anticipated, and what I've explained to you. You are going to be baptized with the Spirit. Now, baptism 
denotes a vital connection. For example, when someone is water baptized, and they're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, it denotes the establishment of a vital connection. Someone is, by being baptized, they're saying, I live in him, and he lives in me. So to say being baptized with the Spirit means he is going to establish a vital connection between you and his Spirit. You are going to be vitally connected to power, to wisdom, to joy that is found in God's Spirit. That is what is going to happen. But then the disciples ask what's an intriguing question. To us, it seems out of place. <laughs> Why? Why are they asking about that? They ask, well, does that mean the kingdom is coming? Kingdom going to be established? Why are they asking that when Jesus says the Holy Spirit is going to be given to you? You're going to be baptized with the Spirit. The answer, now we have to go back even further back in history. And what we need to do is look at several passages, and I'm just going to look at a couple. One of them, Peter quotes, that are Old Testament passages that tell us something about the coming kingdom. So let me show you just, the, just two. Here's Daniel 2.44. In the days of those kings, this, by the way, is, let me give you background. This is Nebuchadnezzar's vision. Remember he had this vision of an image and there was a, a gold upper portion, then silver, then bronze, then uh, iron, and then iron and clay. And this image was very impressive. It may even have been the model for what he later created and asked people to bow down. But in this image, a stone comes from heaven, kind of like a meteor, and crushes the feet. And this image falls and shatters such that the dust blows it and it disappears. <laughs> and Neb is saying, what is this about? Nobody can tell him until Daniel comes on the scene. And Daniel interprets this vision for him. And here's one piece of that interpretation. This is verse 44. In the days of those kings, which basically that image is the image of world empires, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all those kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. Now what is Nebuchadnezzar being told and Daniel is interpreting, and we've been given the benefit of that because it's recorded for us. Basically what he's saying is, this world is not going to get better and better. It's kind of like with my washer and dryer now. They don't repair anything. Repair is by replacement. And that's what's happening here. Basically, the empire of man is going to be replaced by a kingdom in which Jesus is the king. And he will come, he will come to our planet and he will establish a kingdom that is not an improvement of what has gone before. 
It's a whole new thing. And that kingdom will never be destroyed and that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, the kingdoms of men, but it will itself endure forever. God is planning to replace the kingdoms of men with something superior. And there are many, many prophecies in the Old Testament that talk about this. If you want to see how it's actually going to play out, uh, you can study the book of Revelation because it answers to that. Here's another statement about this coming kingdom. All right, this one's from Joel. And by the way, this is the passage that Peter actually quotes when he's explaining what has happened on the day of Pentecost. Uh, Joel 2 and just verses 28 and 31. It will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. This is a reference to what's going to happen with this kingdom. When this kingdom is established, it's going to be so profoundly better because one of the things it's going to deal with is a fundamental problem of all human empire, which is we have broken hearts. We have sin-sick society. And what we need is God's spirit. We need a heart transplant. And this the Spirit will provide when this kingdom is established at some future date. Even so, come, Lord Jesus, I'm good with it before we do this, finish the sermon. And the sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. This day of the Lord, which is the establishment of this kingdom, will be heralded by an outpouring of God's Spirit. God's kingdom is going to come. Jesus' kingdom is going to come. Jesus will come as our king. And it's going to work because there will be an outpouring of God's spirit. The sin sickness of society will be replaced by a spirit-driven kingdom. So when the disciples are asking Jesus so when the spirit comes are you going to establish the kingdom it's because the Old Testament prophecies predicted the arrival of a kingdom that would be accompanied by the arrival of the spirit and Peter actually quotes this Joel passage when he's explaining what has happened so the disciples question is it at this time that you are restoring the kingdom of Israel is an entirely appropriate and understandable question when Jesus says, you will be baptized with this Holy Spirit not many days from now, that sounds like, all right, kingdom kickoff. Can't wait. But in this conversation, 10 days before Pentecost, Jesus says, kingdom countdowning is not to be your focus. Oh yes, the kingdom matters. In fact, in the 40 days after his resurrection, he spoke to them about things concerning the kingdom. But he's saying, trying to roadmap when the kingdom is going to be established, that is not a fruitful pursuit for you. Don't spend a lot of mental energy trying to figure out when that's going to happen. But then the word but shows up. Don't spend your time 
trying to sort out, you know, make a bunch of charts, figure out when I'm going to arrive and be able to predict the day. That's not going to be a fruitful use of your mental energy. But you will receive power and you shall be witnesses. The receipt of power, he says, you will receive power and you shall be my witnesses. In other words, what he's saying is, I am going to dispatch the power of the kingdom. Don't worry about when I'm going to establish the kingdom. I'm deciding to dispatch the power of the kingdom now. And you want to know what that results in? You will be able to be spirit-driven witnesses in the season even before the arrival of the kingdom. The receipt of power and the witnessing activity is directly linked to the presence of the Spirit. You will receive power when the Spirit comes and you will be my witnesses. The witnessing activity is going to be global. He says, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth. And that, interestingly, is exactly what happened on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit so energized 120 people that they were capable of declaring the glory of God no matter where somebody came from in ways that they said, I'm understanding them. I get it. I'm hearing them like they're speaking in my mother tongue, which they were. <laughs> That's what the Holy Spirit does. Yes, the kingdom is coming. It hasn't come yet. It is coming. But Jesus has chosen to give us a foretaste by providing the Spirit who is the power of witness. He is the one who makes it possible for 120 ordinary people to see hundreds, even thousands, come to Christ. And by the way, that was not a one-off. You know, it's not like, wow, day of Pentecost, that was amazing. I guess now we just go on about life as normal. No, not so much. Acts 14, or Acts 4, 31 says this. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. The Holy Spirit kind of energized them to become bold witnesses. That's what the Spirit does. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts. Now let's get some context on this particular one in Acts 4.31. This follows an interchange between uh, the apostles and the religious leaders in which they have been told, stop speaking Jesus. And here was their answer. Well, I'm using Flemenese. Well, is it a good idea to obey you or to obey God? Because we clearly got a conflict here because we have been instructed, speak Jesus. <laughs> and we're going to obey God. And then it says, and when they had prayed. So they came back to the, the early church. They said, you're not going to believe this. Here's what they said. 
Here's what we told them. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. These were energized witnesses for Jesus because of the Spirit. The Spirit that was given on the day of Pentecost and given to you and to me so that we might be witnesses, powerful witnesses, with a view toward the establishment of the kingdom that is coming. I love it that this group in Acts 4, they have their priorities right. <laughs> when the choice is between obeying God and men, they chose God, we do too. I am reasonably confident that our culture is moving to a place. I don't know if it will happen in my lifetime, but it sure looks like it's ramping up where we are going to face similar challenges. The Holy Spirit equipped them to be bold witnesses who spoke Jesus even when it was costly. The Holy Spirit equips us to run into burning buildings undeterred by risk and cost. We're not saving someone physically. We're saving souls. The Holy Spirit is the power for witness. That's what happened on Pentecost. He makes us bold. He empowers us to speak in a language that others understand. He convicts. He uses us to connect people in need to the means of their rescue. He ministers good news through our words. We actually become like emergency responders. A few weeks ago, Rochelle and I were in a, another part of the state and we had an opportunity to get better acquainted with how things work if you happen to be an emergency responder. So the... By the way, is there anyone in this room who is an emergency responder, fireman, something like that? Well, if your hand isn't up, but you are, thank you. One of the things I've learned is that there are different tones at the fire station. And they're not universal with every fire station. Some areas have different tones, but a certain tone indicates what you're dealing with. And you have 60 seconds to be able to get in the vehicle. You know, is this a medical situation? Are we dealing with a fire? Is this a car accident where they're trapped? And you hear a certain tone. And so within the 60 seconds, you get in the vehicle and then you'll be able to use the radio to be able to get more information as you move toward the scene. But the tone alerts them to what they're facing. Now, when they arrive on the scene, you don't want someone who has gone, whoa, he seems to be having some sort of trouble. Um, wonder what's going on there. You got any ideas? No, you want somebody who knows what they're doing. Who's going to start asking the right questions. To try and evaluate, you know, is this person potentially having a heart attack? I actually experienced that about four years ago. I was in a, uh, a workout place and... Uh, Boy, my shoulders were really hurting. In my case, the heart attack symptoms were the shoulders. And I'm so grateful that uh, Rochelle called 911. She uh, was able to get to the place where I was and said, you're having a heart attack. And when they came, they started asking questions. 
And yeah, I was having a heart attack and they put in the stent and I'm okay. I'm so glad somebody knew what they were doing. Ask the right questions. That's what you want an emergency responder to do. This is what the Holy Spirit has equipped us to do. When a crisis or a challenge hits, he knows it. And he's capable of putting the right person around that person who's in crisis. And he can help us connect what someone is facing to what can be found in Jesus. This is what happened on the day of Pentecost. Peter discerned that this was a group of people who were pinned. You know, there was a weight and they were immobilized by that. We've killed our Messiah. What are we supposed to do? And Peter said to them, a wise emergency responder, he says, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And 3,000 did. What kind of crises are people facing all around us? Some are lost. They don't know which way to go, which way to turn. Jesus is the way. And you can tell them. Some are pinned, like the ones in Acts. They're straining under a great weight, guilt. Jesus can set them free. You know that. You can share that with them. Some are on the edge. They're, they're right here by the precipice. They're being pulled toward peril. They're in trouble. Jesus is the life. Some are trapped. They can't seem to break free of something, but Jesus can set them free. Some have heart issues. They need a new heart. Jesus can give us a new heart. So how do I, how do I minister to people in that place? Well, I've found using questions really helps. What's going on in your life right now? If you could change one thing in your life, what would it be? Uh, is there something going on in your life that makes you ask, why is this happening to me? And as I ask questions like that, I can find out where someone is in order to be able to minister the incredible soul-saving power of the gospel. You know, Paul, even Paul was sometimes tempted to RSRD. RSRD means run silent, run deep. That's where we go silent. We don't share the new good news. Paul was in a certain place where he knew if he started talking, it would be risky. And the Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, do not be afraid any longer. And the language there actually means stop being afraid. You're afraid, stop it. But go on speaking. And that one actually means start talking. And stop being silent for I am with you. And no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city. 
That is what Jesus wants us to be and do. A people who refuse to be silent, but who are speaking up. We're asking questions, we're learning, and we're sharing the truth. The Holy Spirit was given to us so that we might be a people who are bold, sharing Christ in Jerusalem. And our Jerusalem is here in Memphis and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts. That's what it's all about. You might say, well, yeah, Paul had that vision in the night. I mean, that was him. I haven't had anything like that. And my answer is, yes, you have. Jesus said to him, I am with you. That is the same promise, same words as are found in the Great Commission. He says, make disciples of all the nations. Behold, see this, I am with you you the Holy Spirit was given to us that we might be powerful vocal bold declarers of the truth that is found in Jesus to every lost and hurting soul and there are hundreds around us that's why the Spirit came and this is why Jesus says you and he's saying this to us not just to the 120 you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. And I would add, until he comes. This is what spirit-filled people do. They boldly declare the truth about Jesus. Will you ask God to make you that kind of bold witness right now? Let's pray. If your heart answers to mine, join me silently in praying this. Father, you've given us your spirit. We have the spirit who makes us bold, powerful, as witnesses in both Jerusalem unto the uttermost parts of the earth. So we are pleading with you to help us to become a people who cannot be stopped, who will not stop speaking, who will share boldly and clearly the incredible good news that is found in Jesus. Would you make of us that kind of people? We are pleading with you for nothing less, nothing other than what you have given us in your word. We want to experience it. We want to be a people who are full of the spirit and in that are powerful as witnesses for Jesus. Make us that. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.